So tonight I'm going to be talking about a subject that we need more of. It's clean, I can't tell. I'm going to talk about a subject that we need more discussion on, okay? Uh, I don't know if anybody knows what postmodern Christianity is, okay? Well, that's what we've gotten over the last 50 or 60 years. And postmodern Christianity is doing things like changing definitions of words to fit their idea of what uh, it should be. Holiness, according to postmodernism, is now just fellowship with God. And they can take this word holy and holiness and call just about anything holy. As a matter of fact, modern-day Christianity, uh, I'll call it postmodern Christianity so you don't get it confused with orthodox biblical Christianity, okay? Postmodern Christianity will look at lesbian relationships and say that they are holy. Even though scripture clearly teaches differently. Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy, it is called a abomination. Amen? Uh, later on, below that, it's called depravity. Amen? We're told that those who practice homosexuality, according to uh, Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians 6, those who practice it will not inherit the kingdom of God. And they ignore these scriptures and they play them off like, well, it could mean this and it could mean that and it could mean another thing. And that's what postmodern Christianity is doing with the Bible. They're taking what we have believed for centuries and they are saying, well, that could mean this and it could mean that. And you even have pastors that do that now. Pastors that say, well, this could mean this and it could mean that. Well, you know, brother, that word has, could be translated another way. But it wasn't. And no Bible translator translates it the way these people tell you it could be translated. Just because the word crap can be translated into, you know what? Doesn't mean I can take that same word and make it mean something else later on. It means what I mean by it when I say it. So we don't take the Bible and go, well, that doesn't mean that nowadays, so we have to change that. No. You have to take it in the context in which it was written when it was written. You can't just change it and say, well, that don't mean that now. Holiness is absolute purity. God is holy. We're told, and I'll get into this in a little bit in, our, in, the, in the scriptures, but we've got to get back to biblical orthodox Christian beliefs that have firm foundations. You know, there's a, there's a postmodern view that truth is relative. You know, the Bible can mean one thing for Teresa and another thing for Tammy and another thing for Carmen and another thing for Deanna. That's not taught in Scripture. 
can't do that with the Bible. It speaks a very specific message. Uh, just in regards to marriage. Uh, I had somebody ask me a question today, and the reality is they're like, well, I just want to know that, that marriage in the Bible, you can't be misconstrued for marriage between women and women and men and men. The reality is the Bible doesn't, nowhere in Scripture is marriage anything other than a man and a woman. Anywhere in Scripture, you're not going to get a reference to them specifically saying, hey, men and uh, marriage is man and a woman because it's spelled out so thoroughly throughout all of Scripture. It's spelled out so thoroughly against homosexuality that we can't even fathom bringing it up like that. Scripture's clear. It's an abomination. Why didn't Jesus come outright and say homosexuality is a sin? Because the word of God already done that. He didn't have to. Well, you know, if he really wanted people. First of all, it wasn't the biggest problem in the culture of the day. What was? Well, it is what he spoke about. Adultery and divorce. Those were the problems that he was facing when he came to earth. And he spoke very clearly about them. Jesus even spoke very clearly about marriage. You know what he did when he spoke about marriage? Have you not heard that God made man for woman? That his man, uh, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother. What did he do? He quoted Genesis. And every instance that marriage is talked about in Scripture is between one man, one woman. Every time. It's unfathomable that you have, quote, and I'm using air quotes, Christian people teaching that it could be anything other than that. Why am I using air quotes? Do you, do you not think somebody could be a Christian and, and be that way? I'm going to tell you like this. Is it possible somebody is struggles with the sin of homosexuality and is a Christian? That's possible. Do I believe that a lying person who's telling people that homosexuality is okay and that it's not a sin, that it's not an abomination, matter of fact, it's holy, do I think they're saved? Absolutely not. No way, no how. They are false teachers, liars, and all liars will find themselves in the lake of fire. Period. Isn't that what it said? So I wanted to talk about how we should be Christ-like in our walk with Christ. How we're called to, in Scripture, live our life for Him. Because nowadays, it seems like Christianity teaches that, look, do I believe, you will not meet another pastor that believes that Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 more than I do. By grace are we saved through faith. That 
not of yourselves, it's a free gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Totally. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. But the grace of God, Titus, Titus says this, Titus 2, 11 through 13 says, that the grace of God has appeared unto all men and brought salvation with it, and it teaches us to live godly, upright, and holy lives in this present age. We've taken the grace of God and we've made it a license to do what I want to do. We've taken the grace of God and we've made it something that I don't have any expectations on me. There's no Christian expectation on how we're to live. That's baloney. You can go through all of the New Testament and it gives you expectations from Jesus, expectations from Paul, expectations from Peter, John, James, Jude. Do I need to keep going? Amen? There is an expectation for us to live according to the gospel and to live our life for Christ. Paul said, I died in Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He also said, beloved, you're not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your bodies, which are God's. Wow. Go with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 12. And this is where I'm starting. I know I gave you like 15 scriptures off the top of my head. I'm sorry. But this is where I wanted to go tonight. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Now, this word brothers here, there's several times the word brothers shows up in the New Testament and it's pluralized, okay? There's some places that it shows up and you can see by the context that it's talking about men. But this one is talking about everybody, okay? just by the context of how it's written. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, does the King James say your reasonable service? I like that word better. I like that phrase better. You know why? This spiritual worship is less pinpointed for me. Reasonable service to me is this is the expectation that's set on you is that you should do this. Amen? Reasonable service. This is like, this is the baseline, okay? This isn't like high expectations. This is the baseline of how we should live our life for Christ anyway. He said that we are to live like we're living sacrifices. What does that mean? It ain't about me. 
It ain't about what I want. It ain't about my needs. So my prayer life ain't about me. My life ain't about me. My talk ain't about me. Amen? All, well, who's it supposed to be about them, Pastor? Jesus. Every bit of it. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world. Look at your neighbor and tell them, do not be conformed. Do you realize there's only one conformity we should be that should be happening in my life? I should be being conformed into the image of him who loves me. That's what should be happening. I should be looking more and more and more and more like Christ. But now we got people that say, well, you don't have to do that to be a Christian. You don't have to do that to be a Christian. You, nobody's saying you have to do that to be a Christian. Christians do those things. Christians pray. Christians go to church. Christians sing and, and praise God and worship God. Christians witness. Christians live their life for Christ. Christians deny worldly passions. Christians Deny lustful, sinful things in their life. That's what Christians should do. Because it's our reasonable service to do so. True and proper worship. That's pretty pinpointed too, ain't it? I like that. The NIV says true and proper worship. What does that mean? There's a right way of doing things. Sorry, I didn't turn the phone down. There's a right way of doing things, amen? That means there's a wrong way. If there's a right way, let me turn this down so the camera later don't get mad at me. If there's a wrong way, or if there's a right way, that means there's a wrong way of doing it. Amen? And Paul spends much of his ministry telling the church What's good, what's acceptable, and what's not. Now watch this. I want you to notice how this ends. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. See, the problem is when you don't set an expectation, nobody will try for it. And what we got in American Christianity right now, the fact that we don't set expectations for people that are part of the body of Christ, we don't set expectations for those who name the name of Jesus, then they don't strive for those things. And they don't find them of value. They don't find them of importance. But for thousands of years now, you can't go back and find any Bible teacher from the first century until today that taught the way these people teach. You'll not find true, devout, orthodox Christian believers saying, it's okay to do that sin. You won't find true Orthodox Christian believers that say homosexuality is okay. 
you will not find true, born-again, devout, orthodox Christian people to say, divorce for any reason is fine. I dare say that, I will say it. I don't know how you can be a Christian and believe in abortion. I don't know how you can do it. I don't get it. Thousands of years, the Catholic Church has stood by and said no to abortion, no to homosexuality, no to the things that are wrong till right now. Beloved, I'm telling you, we need a church that's willing to stand up and say wrong is wrong and right is right. And there's a way to live your life for Christ. And there's a way that if you're doing it, we're really praying for you because we don't know that you're living your life for Christ. A good tree don't produce bad fruit. A bad tree does not produce good fruit. What's going on in the church today? Amen? Watch this. My next line of thought went right to Matthew 6. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We went over this. You know, we went all through the Sermon on the Mount, right? Remember that? Matthew 6, starting at verse 24. Well, just verse 24, excuse me. We can start at verse 19. It says, Do not lay for yourselves up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in to steal, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust does destroy and where thieves do not break in to steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. I'm going to stop right there for a second. The problem with a lot of so-called Christians nowadays is they are so enamored with this world that they think that this life in Christ is all about this life. They think that this life in Christ is all about today, right now on this planet. But Jesus in these words is telling us to look for a future hope, a home beyond this life. He says not this life, but the life to come. You know, we're not storing up treasure here on earth. I'm not holding down to the things of this world. Uh, Paul says this in Corinthians. He says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship do children of God have with Belial? What fellowship does the church have with the world? There should be none. We're to love the world. We're to go out into all the world. We're to go out there and witness to the world and speak the truth of the gospel to the world. But we are not to be conformed to the world. And we're told in James not to love the things of the world or the, the, the passions and the lusts of this world because they're passing away. Amen? Let's finish what Jesus is saying here. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And when people's hearts I, don't want to, I think I want to stop again. When people's hearts are so set on this world, so set on the things of this world, and they believe that they're Christians, yet their eyes and their heart and their mouth and their spirit is all of this world. I fear that they're Christians in name only. 
and they do not know the Christ to whom they profess to follow. Jesus says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if, that dark, if the light in you is darkness, how great is your darkness? And that's my fear. I have a lot of people saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But the light that's inside of them is so dark. Amen. How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, right here, he's just using money as an example. This could be God. You can't serve God and the world. You can't serve God and your boyfriend. You can't serve God and whatever sin that you're trying to put equal with God, whatever thing you think is more important or just as important as your faith, there should be nothing as important as your faith. We do not live in a generation of people that would go to the stake and say, like uh, Brother Andrew when he was going to get crucified. I don't know how many of you remember that from a couple years ago. I read from the Fox's Book of Martyr how Andrew looked at the cross and he said, Oh, cross most longed and desired for. Says that he, as he walked to the cross, his countenance was not changed, nor was there any fear in his eyes, but he longed for the cross of his Savior. Because it was this way that he knew that he was doing what Jesus did. Willing to lay my life down to the point of death. Where it wasn't about me, it was about the gospel. Where it wasn't about me, it was about seeing the truth spoken to people. And their eyes open. And the Holy Spirit ministering to a heart. And drawing a saved, lost, desperate, depraved person who doesn't know God directly into the light where they could see him. We can't serve two masters. Romans chapter 6 says this. Let's turn there in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I love this because people pose questions to me and I get to answer them and then, and then I get a whole sermon out of it. Amen? Romans 6 starting at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Now, I don't know what the NIV says right there. Does it say presents? What does it say? Offer. Now watch this. Do not offer yourself. The King James says, do not yield your members. Right? I'm showing you this for a reason. Because the NIV, the King James, they're all saying a little bit different than the ESV. But they're all saying the same thing. Watch this. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Do not present. Now, the word present kind of softens that a little bit. And, and even offer is a way of, 
of, of softening it a little more from yielding. Because if you understand the word yield, what does it mean? To give up. When you're in a fight back in the Middle Ages and, and you wanted to stop, what, what did you do? You yielded. You gave up. You surrendered. Amen? So don't surrender your body for instruments of unrighteousness. Don't surrender your body. Don't yield. Don't give up your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Let's keep reading because I want you to get where I'm going with this. But present yourself to God as those who have been brought, brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. We're not going to stop here. We're going to keep going. Watch. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Or King James English, God forbid. Did you not know if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be unto God that you were once dead, Slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which we are committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves unto righteousness. Are you seeing this? We're not to yield to sin anymore. This is an expectation. This is written in the New Testament. Romans is in the New Testament, ain't it? He said we're under grace, didn't he? He said, should we keep sinning because we're under grace? God forbid. No, don't do that. Why? Because we are now representatives of Christ. We have been brought from death to life. We have been made free from sin, but we are now slaves under righteousness. Amen? Titus chapter 2, verse 11. I love this, and I'm going to read it again tonight. I know I quoted it a minute ago, but I only kind of halfway quoted it. I want to go to Titus and read this. Because we already talked about Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, where it says, By grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast, right? I want you to see this in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For by grace, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age waiting for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ so right there he's telling you you are saved by grace 
But grace doesn't just save you and have an expectation of you staying the same. Grace appears to teach you to deny worldly passions. See what that said? Renounce ungodliness. Amen? And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Christians, there is an expectation of holiness in our lives. Amen? Flip over to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. We're going to get to something here. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What? Wow. Now, does the, what, what word does the NIV use at the beginning of that sentence? Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Tell me what the NIV says right there. Because I believe the King James uses the word conduct. Let your conduct... Let your conduct be worthy. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Are you seeing that? What is that? Well, the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? By grace are you saved through faith, right? That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus, even while I was dead, my trespasses and sin. He, he loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 5 and 8, right? The gospel is that, but the gospel still has an expectation that I live worthy of what has been given to me. Conduct matters. How I live matters. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm doing this because there's people out there that say, how, you know, we don't have these kind of expectations. By grace, pastors, by grace. Well, we already know grace saves and grace teaches. Grace teaches me to live right. Come on, come on. First Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Now, this word sober-minded does not mean, hey, don't be drunk in your thinking. It's saying, be clear, be crystal clear in your understanding and in your mind, okay? Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, also be holy in your conduct. The NIV is a conduct there? In all you do. Be holy in all you do. In your conduct, be holy. In other words, what I do matters. How I live my life matters. Go with me to 2 Peter. Just flip the page. Verse 11. 
Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Why am I supposed to keep my conduct honorable? Because those outside of the church won't have nothing to say about me. Amen? And they will glorify God because they'll have to say, man, God really got a hold of you. God really got a hold of her. God really got a hold of her. Amen? Uh, turn to John chapter 14. There's a verse here that we're just going to read. One verse, okay? John 14. Very simple. It's pretty clear cut. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I know a lot of people that say, I love Jesus. I know a lot of people that say, I love the Lord. Oh, I love the Lord. But they won't do what he told them to do. I love Jesus, but I won't do what he told me to do. I won't. He can't make me. That's not a requirement in the New Testament. I'm sorry. It ain't about you. You want some more words of Jesus? He said, if any man would follow me, if he's not willing to uh, renounce all that he has and follow me, he's not worthy of me. Amen? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Flip to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm getting through this just as fast as I could. I didn't want you to miss any of these verses, okay? Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture here, okay? So just bear with me, okay? Starting at verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now watch this. I want you to pay close attention to what it's about to say. But sexual immorality, all impurity, or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper with saints. Must not be a hint of. Must not even be named among you. You see that? That's the expectation that Paul had for the church in Ephesus. Do you think that we're better than them and don't have that same expectation on us? Let not a hint of sexual immorality or any impurity or any covetousness even be named among you. You want some expectations for the church? There it is. No hint, no thing even being named among us. That's the expectation. Huh? Greed. Yeah. Now watch this. He's not done. 
Let therefore no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous is an idolater and has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all good and right and true. And, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O you who sleep, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but Understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody with the Lord in your heart giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ period you want to see how the church is supposed to behave? Just read that every day for about three months. And you might start getting an idea that some of the thoughts that you have was, oh, this is okay, and that's okay, and this thing's okay. Maybe you'll start changing your mind. Maybe you'll stop being conformed to this world, and your mind will be, be, begin to be transformed by the renewing, by the water of the washing of the word. And you'll start understanding that what you do matters. Oh, my goodness. If you can't tell, I'm kind of fired up about this. Oh, I'm not going to read it, but we've talked in prior times before about Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 24, and 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And all these verses have in common is this. No one who does the things that are written in them verses will inherit the kingdom of God. And much of what we have discussed in this room tonight, homosexuality, adultery, idolatry, drunkenness, all of those things are on the list. People who do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now the part in Galatians that I do want to go to, we're not going to read the whole thing, but in Galatians chapter 5, we're going to end right here. Galatians 5, what's really striking, or actually, I already read it, it was in Ephesians. We're supposed to imitate God, Ephesians chapter 5. It started out, be imitators of God then, as dearly loved children. So it's very important for us to understand 
that when we try to make a case for homosexuality, we have to go, would God do that? Would God okay that? No, God wouldn't. No, God doesn't. The Word of God is very clear. There's not one God for the Old Testament and some new God in the New Testament. It's the same God in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. We're just living in a new dispensation. It's called grace. You got one shot right now. You believe the gospel and you're saved or you don't and you're going to hell. You're either born again or you're not. You're either a new creature or you're not. You're either saved or you ain't. There's no, there's no walking both sides of the fence. There's no halfway saved. There's no a little bit saved. There's no just kind of in the middle of the road. If you're there, I'm telling you, you need to repent and believe the gospel. If you think you're waffling in Christian living, if you think you're waffling in this Christian life, repent and believe the gospel and be saved because the born-again experience will change you. And the grace that saves you and the grace that keeps you will also teach you how to live your life for Christ. Like I said at the very beginning of this, Romans chapter 2, or Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. There's only one conforming that we need to be doing, and that's being conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. All of us, every day, should be more and more like Christ. Amen? That's the gospel. That's what we need to get back to. Not this stuff that says sin is okay. Isaiah says, woe unto them who call evil good and good evil. And that woe is a curse. He's not just saying, oh, you know, you're a bad person. He's saying, cursed be anyone who calls evil good and good evil. I told you Sunday that as a pastor, it's very important for me to teach the truth. Because I'm going to give an answer for what I say. So I wanted to bring before you tonight the answer that I had for a question for other people. But I think it's very relevant for where we're living. The time we're living in where Christianity is like subjective. I could just make it fit whatever I desire it to be. That's not true. There's only one gospel. And if we preach any other gospel, we're going to be cursed. What gospel are you preaching? What gospel are you living? Because we should be living worthy of the gospel. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you have laid this message on my heart. Lord, I thank you that you have brought this about by other people asking questions of me and me answering them. Lord, I pray right now that this message tonight would bless those who have been in this room. I pray that it was a blessing to them. I pray that if anybody was watching that thought differently about what they could do and how they could live their life for Christ, I pray that this convicted them Lord, I pray that your spirit went out and I pray, Lord, that you are already convicting those hearts, Lord, 
that they would believe the gospel, that they would repent, that they would come to faith in Christ, and that if they are believers, that they would stop yielding themselves as instruments of unrighteousness, but that they would yield their members as instruments to God for righteousness, that they would truly live their life for Christ and not be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of their mind. Lord, I pray that you would reach all those that you have called and that they would hear your call and they would believe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.